Well, listen, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. We're in our second of a four-part series on the life of Solomon. We're talking about turning points. The, the turning points, the, 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 the momentous occasions that made decisions that affected life in Solomon. And last week we spoke about the unlikely, how unlikely he was to be chosen king of Israel. But God's hand, God's call was on his life from the very beginning. And, and despite the danger and despite the, the, the opposition, the plans that God had in his heart were accomplished when Solomon, the tenth of 19 sons, came to the throne of Israel. And uh, he became the successor to his father, David, as the king. His coronation took place. It was a turning point. It was a, it was a moment that changed his life. This morning, we moved not too far away from the coronation. We moved to the next most crucial and life-defining moment of Solomon's biography. And that was his encounter with God. Um, if a person desires, if a person longs to do something meaningful, something significant for God, there has to be a God encounter. It's an absolute must. It has to take place. I, I'm going to preach much better because you're here, man. I'm so glad to see you here. Good to see you, Carlo. Um, sorry about that. I just was excited. Um, there, there has to be an occasion when, when God speaks to you, reveals himself and shows you where, where you're going and how you're going to get there. Uh, Solomon has a heart for God at this point, very similar to the heart that beat in his father's chest. And, and so he reaches out for God. He longs for God. He, he, he wants God to show him what to do and how to do it. Uh, we're, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and, and verse 1 says, Solomon, son of David, took firm control of the kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. We mentioned last week that Solomon's coronation occurred during a, a very turbulent, a very dangerous point in time. However, from the very beginning of his reign as the king, God was with Solomon and he strengthened Solomon in every imaginable way. God made the young king discerning as to who, uh, who was for his leadership and who stood in opposition against his leadership. We mentioned that Solomon was 15 years old when he came to the throne, but God gave him insight, God gave him understanding, God gave him abilities that were way beyond his years. From day one, there was a sense of stability, there was a sense of strength that was conveyed by Solomon, and as a result, the people of Israel were satisfied and happy and, and quite content with his leadership. The neighbors saw that Solomon had the favor of his subjects and, and that he was organized and that he was prepared. And so they did not entertain ideas of making an attempt to conquer the territory to take the throne away from him. Solomon, it says, had a firm hand and plan for the kingdom. And the reason that was, and the reason that it was stable, was that the Lord his God was with him and made Solomon a very powerful king. That's what the scripture says. Throughout the Bible, this theme is repeated. Throughout the scripture, 
Obedience brings blessing. And disobedience brings disaster. And and God was pleased with with the heart that Solomon brought to the job of leading Israel. And so God was more than happy to bless Solomon, to, to pour out blessing on his household, his leadership, and bless his reputation. Everything that has to do with God flows out of relationship. Everything that God does... He does because he wants friendship with us, relationship with us, everything. When you know God, when you sit with him and you talk with him and allow him to talk to you, things go better. The promise is, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Relationship is the foundation of God's work in each one of our lives. This week we... We got a letter at the church, and it came from another church in a small city in central Ontario, and and it was not an unusual letter. We get a few of them every year. Uh, I've never heard of the church. I don't know the pastor, and as far as I know, I'm not connected to anyone in the congregation. The the letter was well-researched. It had the names of three of the leadership people in our church on it. And uh, that, that's a lot of research to do because I'm sure we weren't the only church that got it. But the letter was requesting that our church invest in their ministry and that we would send $2,000 as our share, our responsibility in getting them into a new building and launched into a soul-saving endeavor in their city. The letter was well-written. The letter had two or three pictures of, of the, the facility that they were hoping to have. The, the letter had good spelling and great punctuation and, and a list of how we could get our contribution to them. Like I said, that's not an unusual letter. We get, we get a few of them every single year. We, but we have this very strict policy on giving and on missions. We give out of relationship. We give to ministries that we know and that we're connected to. We, we, we want to know that we, if we have questions, we can pick up the phone and we can dial up and talk to somebody that we know and give our questions to them and they'll give us an answer, that they're, that they're accountable. We give through relationship so that we can have accountability with the people that we invest in, with the ministries that we give to. We don't give to strangers. We give because and through relationship. Does that make sense to you? It's, it's, it's worked for us. And we do that because of the pattern of Scripture. God gives to those who are in relationship with Him. God gives to the people who know Him, the people that love Him, the people that desire to please Him. I want you to understand that God is all about relationship. Both vertical relationship with Him and horizontal relationship with those that are around us. And so Solomon's life at this stage was lived in such a way that he pleased the Lord. He brought the smile of God on his life. And and because of that, God was pleased and stood beside Solomon and made him a very powerful king. Let me just stop here and let's, let's just think about 
us. We're, we're looking at Solomon, but we're looking at him so that we can reflect on our own, our, our own life. What is this, the state of our relationship with God this morning? Uh, has there been recent conversations? Have you been shaped and refined by his word this week? Have you experienced the leadership of the Holy Spirit directing you, coaching you, building you for the purposes of God today? This is the launching pad. This is the, this is the foundation of success, of a, of a healthy, living, growing, deepening relationship with God. It, it, it's necessary in all of our lives. Early on in the reign of Solomon, he calls the national leadership together. He calls the prophet and the priest. He calls the, 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 the army and his political advisors together. And, and he calls them and says, we're going on a pilgrimage. We're going to leave the capital city and we're going to go to the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting was where they met with God, where, where they went and, and God would speak to, him, to them and they could speak to God. And so Solomon desperately wants his leadership, his reign to be marked by the, by the blessing of God. And so he, he goes there. Uh, and, and, and he goes to the tent of sacrifice and he, or the tent of meeting, and he offers a sacrifice. And he's so. He's so in love with God. He's so desperate for God's help and God's leadership that, that, that he takes an extravagant sacrifice. The, the sacrifice that is asked for is a burnt offering. And so you could take an ox and you could offer it to the Lord. But Solomon says, this is the beginning. This is the first chapter in my life and in my reign as king. And, and I want God's blessing. And so he takes an extravagant offering. He takes a thousand burnt offerings. And, and he lays them out. L let me speak. It, 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 Solomon says, let me speak about my sincerity. Let, let me show my desperation to you, to have you lead me, to have you guide me. Let, let it be understood that I am very serious in my cry. God, I need you every step of the way. If this call on my life is going to be successful, I need your help. And I'm here begging for it. God, God hears that. God sees the offering. God hears the cry. And God answers the plea for his, for his guidance and his help. Verse 7. That night, the very night of the offering, that night God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. God promises that if you call, he will answer. And so Solomon calls on God, and that very night, the night of the offering, God shows up when he and Solomon are alone, and he says, I have... I've come to speak to you. I've come to build and establish greater relationship. What is it that you want? I would say that that short question of God, that statement that God makes to Solomon, is almost too wonderful for us to, to understand or wrap our minds around. It brings into to a light that we're not used to seeing God in. What, what do you want of me, Solomon? Ask, ask anything and I will give it to you. I, I want to take you back a few decades. I, 
In my teenage years, I was struggling with some very real fears. I'd been abandoned as a child, and even though I had been picked up out of that home and moved into a wonderful Christian caring home, I, I still struggled with abandonment issues and fears that I'd be left behind. I remember as I was going through high school, people would ask me as I progressed, Bill, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you graduate? I knew that there was a call in my life that I was to be in ministry, but the reality of what that was or what it looked like or what it meant was beyond me. One of the major influences on my life had always been missionary conferences. I loved missionary conferences. I, I, I love the stories. I love the, the personal challenge. Who will go? I, I, I love the testimony of, of God's faithfulness and of his power. I, I loved it all. However, there was that moment at the end where, where there would be uh, an altar call and you would go and, and you would be prayed over and, and, and the, the prayer was this, God what do you want for my life? And, and that was the scary moment for me. I was afraid to let God speak to me for fear that he would send me to some very remote, isolated, deserted desert where I'd have to learn a very difficult language when I already struggled with the only one that I had. I, I, I was just positive. I was absolutely positive that God would ask me to do the impossible and be so very disappointed when I failed every one of his expectations. That was the picture. That was the understanding that I had of God. And I know that there are people in this room right now that can identify with that story because that fear haunts you. That fear threatens you, keeps you at a distance from an encounter with God. What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? But God shows up before Solomon and doesn't ask him to do something that Solomon doesn't want him to do. He shows up and he says, what do you want? Ask me for anything and I will give it to you. Doesn't that shock you? Doesn't that sort of surprise you? Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Yet as we read through Scripture... And we see that we are constantly, constantly invited to show up before God and ask. Psalms, ask me for the nations and I'll give them as an inheritance. The New Testament, come boldly into my throne of grace and make your request known. This is the confidence that we have in God. That if we ask anything, he hears us. And if we ask according to his will, he grants to us the desires of our heart. What do you want? Please never forget this about God. He's unbelievably generous. Growing up, I had two uncles. Well, I had more uncles, but I'm just comparing these two. If, if, you, if you could choose to go to either, with either Uncle A or Uncle B, you... And it's good to see you, Uncle B, too. But we're not talking about this Uncle B, okay? This is my own personal Uncle B, okay? Um, if, if you could choose to go with Uncle A or Uncle B, you always chose Uncle B. Both were warm. Both were friendly men. 
But Uncle A would never go to a place and say, Billy, order whatever you want. Um, pick out a toy and I'll buy it for you. With Uncle A, we only went to places that his wallet wasn't required. We went to the freebie places. We went to the playground. We went on walks. We did all of that. But Uncle B, Uncle B was the guy who took you to the store and gave you 20 bucks, which was a fortune, and, or, or, or take you to a restaurant and say, Bill, your parents aren't here. Order whatever you want. That was amazing. That was amazing. And, and God stands before Solomon and says, tell me, what's in your heart? What is it that you need? Tell me what you need. Ask for anything, and I promise you this, it's yours. Again, there are people who are afraid to pray, afraid to ask for things from God, because what if, what if I ask for the wrong thing? What if I mess up and I sell my soul for a dish of stew when I could have had a rich inheritance? So rather than get close enough to hear God say to me, ask for anything, we keep our distance and we try to work it out on our own. We try to do it on our own. And, and that doesn't often go well. That just doesn't often go well. The, the same God who in Hebrews states unequivocally, I am the same God today that I was in the days of Moses, Abraham, David, and Solomon, and I will be that same God forever. That, that God who says that to Solomon, ask me for anything, says to you, ask me for what you need. Ask me for what you need. Verse 8. Solomon replied to God, you showed great, faith, great and faithful love to, to David, my father, and now you have made me king in this place. There's no sense of hesitation. In the text, God asks, Solomon replies. It wouldn't surprise me that, that, that Solomon knew God well enough from the example and the encounters that his father had had to know that if you go out to talk to God and if you have need and you're requiring help, then God will show up. God will come before you. So Solomon expected God to show up. God, Solomon expected God to answer and so he had his request ready. God you're not a stranger to this man. You were the center of my father's life. I, I saw your goodness and your faithful love revealed to my dad. And so I trust you. I, I know firsthand that you are faithful. I know firsthand that you are trustworthy. Friends, this morning I'm, I'm challenging you to get close enough to God. To dig deep into his word. To find people that have first-hand experience with God and learn from them how to get into His presence, how to hear His voice, how to know His purpose for your life. God, you were with my dad, Solomon says, and I know full well that you have made me king in this time and in this place. There are too many intricate details to my story to make me think that I have tripped into this situation accidentally. I want you to know that I see your hand on my life. I, I know that you've made me king in this place for this time. I see it. I, I understand that. One of the most overwhelming pieces of information that I hold on to is this. God is in charge. 
he knows what he's doing. He, he never makes mistakes. He's brought me to the kingdom, brought me to this place, brought me to this assignment at this time for a purpose. He has partnered me with you for something significant, for something important. Quite often in the work that I do, I find myself swimming in waters that are way over my head. I find myself in situations that I, I don't have a sweet clue what the next step is. And at that moment, fear fights to take control of my heart and says, Bill, you're about to fail majorly. You're, you're about to make some of the worst mistakes that man has ever known. If I were you, Bill, I would run. If I were you, I'd get out before the press shows up. I would get out before the crowd turns on you and ties you up and takes you out into the parking lot and draws and quarters you. And, and while fear fights valiantly, I have to take hold of my faith. And I have to start speaking out loud what I know of God and what I know of His purpose. I have to, with confidence in my voice, I have to say out loud, I know that God is all-powerful and cannot be defeated. I know that God is not a man that he should lie. His promises are true and guaranteed. I know that God cannot fail. I know that I have been called to this place at this time and that God will not leave me. God will not fail me. I will not fall. God, you have brought me to this place. I have to speak that louder than my fears are talking. And when my heart is calmed down by that understanding, then I can be still and know that He is God and wait for His answer, giving me my next steps. You see, the liar, the enemy of my soul, wants to erase the truth from your heart and mind, but I declare boldly over you today, you have a call on your life. You are a part of an intricate plan and the purpose of God for this time and in this place. No one is exempt. No one is left out. You have a call. Well, that was kind of weak. I wish you believed it, but by the end, you, I'll just keep you here till you do believe it, okay? Um, Solomon continues, So know that I am on the throne of Israel as a result of your leadership and, and direction. So here is my request, God. You ask me what I need, here it is. This is what I need. Verse 9, O Lord, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father. For you've made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom, give me the knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God, I don't know what you were thinking when you put me in charge of a nation. Of a, of a great nation, both in size and prophetic significance. I, I want... To please you. I want the people of this nation to prosper. I want them to be at peace. I want them to, to enjoy being your people. I, I, I don't know how to make that happen. I don't have a playbook. I, I don't own a university degree in the many areas of leadership that I'm now responsible for. I'm underqualified for the job that is mine. I can't do it on my own. God, who could do this impossible job? 
First of all, have you met your people? They're kind of hard-hearted and stiff-necked, and some of them are, are just out of control. Who could govern this people? The people that you have said are the apple of your eye and the object of your great love and power. Well, I'll answer that for you, God, in case you don't know. No one can do it. Please hear me on this. We have been called to this time, to this place, to fulfill the purposes of God. We, are not, we have not been called because of our personal wisdom or our great strength or ability. Remember this. He has chosen us so that everyone will know that it wasn't us at work. It was God in us at work. Jesus reminded us that we have a call on our life, but if we try to fulfill that call without him, we will fail. Apart from me, you can do nothing of significance, Jesus says. Solomon is, the most incredible, is in the most incredible and life-changing encounter with God, and so he's just very honest. He's very open with God. Without your help, I can't do a blessed thing. No one can govern this people if you don't help me. I need you. I need your intervention. I need your help. Or this whole thing is going to blow up in my face. So my request is this. Make me wise. Give me the discernment to know what is right and what is wrong. Give me the ability to identify who is lying and who is telling the truth. Help me to know what is you and what is not from your heart. Make me wise. But also make me a man of understanding and knowledge. Help me to see into the, the problems and identify the root cause. G give me practical know-how to understand the rules of economics so this nation will prosper. Help me to know what to do with the military. Help me to, to have answers for our education system, our legal system, the problems that my people face in their homes every day. Help me to lead Israel properly. Lead them in a way that makes you smile and proud. Make me wise. Make me knowledgeable so that I can serve the nation effectively, so that I can know your smile on all of my efforts. Never forget, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's your work, your family, your money, your relationship, your history, your future, you need God to help you see what's going on. You need God to help you know what to do next and what has to be done. Without God, you can do nothing that is going to last or going to be of significance. Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 11, God says to, to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth, you did not ask for riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or for a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern the people. One of the most amazing things about God in my estimation is that he can read the motivation of our hearts. We've all learned to be what we need to be to get what we need to get. 
We know how to turn on and pour on the charm. We, we know how to make our voice sound threatening if necessary or intimidating if needed. We know how to work the robes, work the situation. Proverbs 16.2 says, and this is one of Solomon's Proverbs, says that there are times that we can fool ourselves by thinking that our ways and our motives are pure. But motives are weighed by the Lord. He hears what we ask and he also knows the why of why we've asked for it. So God hears Solomon's request and, and sees the reason that he asks for what he asks for. I see your heart, and I understand your greatest desire is to help your people. I, can, can I just give you a bit of insight here? You will learn, you will know your God-given purpose and be able to define who you are and why you are here when you learn to serve. It, it's one of the greatest educations you can get. When you, when you see a need and you don't look at someone else and say, well, why aren't you doing something about it? But look for what you can do to meet that need. A light goes on. It's an aha moment. You, you, you come to some discovery. My, my grandfather was a, was a minister and one of my mentors, and he would constantly say to me, find a place where you can serve, where you you can't be seen or recognized. You can't be paid or repaid for what you do. Just serve the best and as anonymously as you can, and you will learn things about your heart that you never knew before. And that's true. That's, that's very, very true. God says to Solomon, you could have asked for wealth. You could have asked that I would enrich you personally or make you famous. You, you, you could have asked that your enemies would meet with tragedy and, and never cause you a day of worry or concern ever. You, you could have asked for a long life, but your answer didn't have a whiff of selfish ambition in it. Your, your, your answer had nothing to do with self-gratification. You asked that you would be wise and knowledgeable so that you could properly govern my people. You have shown up at this assignment and you've shown up ready to serve. You have the highest office in the land and you understand that you are not a grand and glorious potentate, but that you are a servant to the people of God, a servant to my people. The greatest fulfillment and meaning in life is found in serving God, serving His people, Serving his church. I appreciate talent and I really love good ability. I have a list of professionals and experts who I can call for help and advice for any problem that I encounter in my work. So I have no hesitation in, in reaching for help from talented people. However, I want you to hear this. My greatest appreciation is for people who show up and just simply say, Pastor, what needs to be done? What needs to be done? Nothing is too small. Nothing is beneath them. Whatever their hands find to do, they do it with all their heart. And we have many of those kinds of people in this house. They, they are the reason that post-pandemic, we still have a church. 
They are the reason that offerings get counted and deposited. Why, why there are activity boxes for kids this morning when we don't have a Club J this summer. They're the reasons that when the trees fell over and crushed the fence a couple of weeks ago, that the trees are gone and the fence will be repaired. And We have excellent worship. We have people who show up faithfully and serve and do it because they love God, they love His people, they love His house why we still exist. God loves the motivation of Solomon's heart. I want God to love the motivation of my heart. Verse 12, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth. I will also give you riches. I will give you fame such as no other king has had before you or ever will have in the future. You've not asked me for anything out of selfish ambition. You've just sought to serve me and to serve my people. And because of that, I will give you everything that you didn't request. You will become renowned. You are renowned in your day. You will be renowned forevermore as the most informed, most knowledgeable person who's ever lived. You will be given strategy to build a nation. You will be given the, the resources to build a permanent home of, of worship for God. To build a palace for the leader of Israel. To forge lasting peace with the nations that are around you. The things that, that he does, the ability that he has, begins at this spot for Solomon. During this encounter, and it builds throughout his leadership. He, he was a nice person. He was a good man. But God, as a result of this encounter, makes him a great man. A great man. I will add to your request the things you did not ask for. I will give you wealth. I will give you riches. I will make you famous as no other king has been before you or will be in the future. Jesus says something to you this morning that's in that same vein. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And I will give you everything you need if you keep your priorities straight. Pick what you need. Ask for what you want. And if it's tied to the pursuit of God and living obediently to the will and the way of God, you'll get it all. You'll get it all. Encounters with God are so meaningful and so very important. They transform who you are. They add meaning. They add understanding to who we are in God and why He has us here right now. Every time God has something new to add to your life, every time the chapter is about to change to something new, every time that God is going to bring about change in your life, in your situation, if you're open to it, there's going to be a God encounter. There's going to be a place, a time where, where God shows up and speaks into your heart, speaks into your situation. There's going to be this open, exciting moment with God. There have been so many crossroad moments in my life. Opportunities to do something new or improve something that has been needing shake up. Sometimes I've gone to God and said, I have two opportunities here, God. There's this one or this one. Which one do you want me to take? And I've heard him say very clearly, which one do you want? Well, no, God, that's not the question. Which one do you want me to take? You take either one and I'll bless both. I'm blown away by that. 
That's surprising to me. At other times, I'll be doing things and prophetic voices in my life will show up and they don't know what I've been talking to God about or what God's been talking to me because I haven't spoken to anybody. And they give me a sharp, detailed direction that could only come from God. It's an aha moment. And at other times, I'll be on my way to meet someone and God gives me an answer before I even know what the question is. Well, God, what's that all about? I What? And then... I get to the destination and I hear the question and I know, oh, that's where this answer fits in. Tw- 20 years ago, as a church, we were just coming out of a very deep, prolonged, dark period with our finances. It had started 17 years before that and had been solved seven years after it began, but there was this residue fear about making a mistake, this fear of, of, of coming into a season where we don't have enough. And it, it had kept us sidelined many times. It had be proven to be a handicap in this church. I was in Victoria alone. I was walking at the inner harbor, and, and God spoke to me very clearly about what he wanted to do. He wanted to break that fear off our church. He gave me this verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a longer piece, but part of it reads this way. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then provide a great harvest of generosity in you. And yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can live a life of generosity. Well, that was so different from what we'd been living. And, and it was just so real, and it was an encounter with God, and I came home, and I called the leadership together, and I told them that in seven weeks, we would take up a great offering in this house. That on that date, we would ask for what we needed, which was, I think at the time, about $5,000 a week to meet our regular obligations and ministry requirements. But in addition to that, on that one Sunday, I was going to ask people to give above their regular giving to a missions project. And my goal was to have one Sunday where we'd raise $5,000 for the church and $25,000 for mission project. So a total of $30,000 coming in on one Sunday. I remember there were some people who sort of looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, I think that's what God's saying. Other people looked at me and said, you have lost your mind. Because 11 months of the year, we would never see half that amount come in on one Sunday. And, and 11 months of the year, we, we wouldn't even maybe see that much come in in a whole month. And I was asking for it in one Sunday. We, we'd never been in that area but I had this encounter with God, and He had promised that He would break something off our church, and something that was limiting us, something that was harming us, something that I believed God was ready to do a new thing. And so we went into battle to follow Him. We prayed, and we talked about it for seven Sundays, and we came, and we took up the offering, and that's the first moment. After the offering was collected, that was the first moment that fear came into my heart. What if we don't do this? Will I have to resign? 
Like, what, what will happen? And, and so until the offering was counted, I was a bit of a mess. But the number came back, and the offering that we took up didn't reach $30,000. The offering that we took up was north of $40,000. And in that encounter, it broke off a mindset that this church had had, and we've never looked back. But, but that came out of an encounter that I had with God walking on the inner harbor of, of the city of Victoria. And I believe that God has a new thing for us in the days that are ahead and that he wants to encounter you. He wants to encounter me. And he wants to transform us so that we can make room for an encounter that will change who we are, change how we look at things, will change our expectation. It's not by accident that next month I'm going to spend 10 days in Victoria. I like it when God speaks to me in Victoria. I, I like it, you know. I like it whenever he speaks to me, but I'm extremely happy when it's in Victoria. Anyways, what, why, when are you going to create the time and the space for God to have a life-changing encounter with you? When are you going to offer yourself a living sacrifice and say, God, I can't do this thing without you. I need you. Solomon went from a regular man to a man of incredible influence and significance because of an encounter that he had with God. It changed Solomon. It changed the nation. It impacted history. Encounters are important and vital for the health of an individual, for a, for a church, for a community, for a family. We need to make room for encounters. I'm going to ask Victoria if you'll come right away and to the keys. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 6, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him, who sincerely make room for him to show up. I've come this morning with a purpose. I've come this morning to burden you with a challenge for this summer. You are here in this building on a summer Sunday. You could be anywhere else, but you're here because you love God. You're here because you want to please God. And we can't please God unless we're people of faith. And a people of faith know two and believe two important things. First, they believe that God exists. The, the question of his existence, the question of his nature and the desire to be connected relationally with him, that's been settled. We believe, we know who he is and we want to be connected. God is real. God is real to me. God is real in me. And as a result, I will live my life in an attempt to please God. We believe, we know that he exists, we know that he speaks to us. People who pray believe that God's there to hear him. The second thing that faith produces in people is an expectation. We pray because we expect that He hears and that He answers our prayers. We worship because we know that when His children raise their voice, raise their hands, raise their face towards their Father, He responds. He responds. We expect that God will reward those who sincerely, diligently seek Him. We've, we've got the stories of Scripture. We've got Noah who built an ark in a land that never knew 
prolonged or damaging flooding and yet responded to a God encounter. We have the story of Abraham, a a man who waited all of his life, all of his adult life for a son. And when that son finally arrived, God asked for him to be given back. And without flinching, because of an encounter he had with God, Abraham responded in faith. As a result of an encounter, the result of faith that believes that God is full of expectation, Israel marched for seven days around one of the most heavily fortified cities of the area, the city of Jericho, with nothing more than their voice and some pots. And that city surrendered and fell. I'm telling you as a church, we're at a crossroads. We are being offered more right now. Well, Bill, you know, the church isn't what it used to be. The church isn't what it was. We are being asked, we are being challenged to be ready for what God is going to do next. What needs to happen next is we each and every one have to have a God encounter. We need to say, God, I have a home that needs a miracle. We have to be willing to say, I have a child that I'm burdened for that needs an encounter. I have a bank account that needs some strength, that needs some depth. I have a sickness that needs a cure. I have a problem that needs a solution. And then allow God to show up and encounter us. met with a young person um, just this week parent used to come here. They've, they've moved recently. And the story is this. this. This 12-year-old son woke up in the morning and went walking with his parent and said, uh, God showed me something. And the parent said, oh, what did God show you? God showed me that we're not going to live in the house that we're in for very long. What? We, we don't have any plans like that. There's going to be a man who comes to our house and he's going to offer to buy it. And we're going to move and it's going to be all good and God's going to open all the doors. This is a 12-year-old kid. I've had an encounter with God. And I met this 12-year-old in his new home this week. God quite often speaks to kids because we're too busy for them. God quite often speaks to kids because they're full of expectation. But I want us to be full of expectation. I want our hearts to be full. I want you to stand. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for folks to come forward because we're going to pray together. Oh man, I've gone along. Sorry. I'm so so sorry. (laughs) You'll be rewarded with cake because you persevered to the very end here. But You're here this morning and you're desperate because you've got a situation and you don't know what the next step is. You don't know where to go. I just want you to know God has set you up. God has you where he wants you because God wants to have an encounter with you and God wants you to open up your heart to you and open up a space and a time. And if that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. There's some folks here who who everywhere you go, you're running into illness, you're running into sickness, you're running into pain and weakness. And God is saying, listen, I want to encounter you because there's something great in you that I want to release, and it's me. I want want healing to flow in this house. And I need you to come. There's there's all sorts of needs. There's all sorts of requests. And you've been thinking all week, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's next? Where do? What happens now, God? 
What happens now is an encounter. And if that's you, if you're needing an encounter, if your family's needing an encounter, if you're needing an encounter for your work or for your community, or come, let's pray together. Just step out from where you are. Come and stand with me right where you are. doesn't matter who.